indeed. Please take a seat. Right, just listen, this, this might help you this morning. Um, you just need to remember that it was never intended that when we open God's word together, it stops at you. I know it's a real temptation. When you go to the pictures, it does. You go to see a film, and it's like, right, the whole purpose of this is to, you know, me to have me thoughts entertained for just a little while or something like that. Uh, what you need to be doing as we're going through God's word today is saying, how am I going to be bringing this and moving this on to somebody else. So if you're a dad of a family, if you are lead parent in a family, you need to be hearing this today and saying, how is this going to go past me and how am I going to be used to carry it on? Okay. If you're a youngster here, you've got to be saying, hold on, how am I going to make sure that amongst my mates at school or amongst the uh, the other uh, youngsters uh, here at church, that this is something that's going to slip into my conversation? Okay. This is part of our problem, isn't it? So often what we do is we say, right, I'm sitting here just to download to me. This is all about me. <clears throat> Wrong answer. This is what we do. We take God's word and we are propagators, passers out of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, you speak so that we will listen, but that it won't terminate on us, so that we would, re- we would respond with faith and hope and love and that it would go viral. That it go beyond us to others. So I pray now for all of us here in this room that, Lord, what you've got to say to us in your word here today, you'd help us to carry beyond merely sitting here. Lord, keep us from that temptation of making everything about us. Oh, that kills us, Lord. Please, Lord, would you, would you just give us that Jesus-shaped generosity of heart that just carries good things to other people, that they may be encouraged and may be built up. And would we do it for each other, Lord? So please, Lord, be at work in us. Make us new through the hearing of your word in the power of the Spirit to the renewing of our hearts and minds to the honour of Jesus. Amen. Now, you've probably picked up already over the last few weeks that I I just love the book of Acts. And the reason I love the book of Acts is because it builds my confidence in the gospel. Now, I'm guessing that there isn't a person sitting here who doesn't need confidence being built and rebuilt again and again and again that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. And isn't it good to watch how those who first saw, they take their stand on the risen Lord. Isn't it wonderful to see how their lives got changed, how they pushed outward with the gospel, and how they they took this, this thing that God had done in Jesus and it turned everything upside down. And... I mean, all of those things really build my faith. But every now and again, one of the things that builds my faith and just keeps me going and encourages me greatly is when I look at seeing the growth of the early church. It absolutely defies all explanation. Now, can I just check? Is that buzzing annoying you lot as much as it's annoying me? It's, is it the projector? It's not that. Ah, somebody's hoofed the ball at the projector. Anyway, we'll move past that. Where was it? Oh, yes. The growth of the early church, it defies explanation. Look, like, think of it like this. Okay. A small group of underqualified people with no money to be able to do and achieve anything. No power, no politics or anything like that. No names to speak of so they didn't have brand recognition. No influence in society whatsoever. That small group of, society, of, of, of people literally turned the world upside down. They changed history. Even the very things that we take for granted are shaped by what happened there. How do you explain it? 
How on earth can you make sense of it? They only had two things. One was this message about a guy who died and has risen again. And the other is the claim of the Spirit of God breaking in and taking over their hearts. And the world has been turned upside down. And I loved it because you watch them. And you watch them in the book of Acts. And these... This truth, you know, the truth of Jesus risen and reigning and the power of the Spirit at work in them, and they go all in with it. They build their lives around it. Listen, we're so tempted, aren't we, in our, in our Christian lives? To, and it's just hard, isn't it, because life comes rushing at us. We're so tempted to take our faith and bolt it on the side. But what they do is they knock down all the other bits of their life, put Jesus there, and they build everything else off it. I love it. They, they, they say, listen, having met Jesus, my personal history... All the hurts that I'm facing, all the habits that I can't get rid of, all the hang-ups I've got, all of those are going to get rebuilt because I've been met by Jesus Christ. All their, well, all their pursuits, all their priorities and all the things they prize get rewritten by meeting Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, that is authentic Christianity. And as you're listening here, some of you are saying, that is what I've, that's the process that I'm going through. And you think about the person sitting next to you and you're like, yeah, they're in that process too. And suddenly what we see happening in the early church is when the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit comes along, wow, that is what happens. So please don't think anything ordinary happens when we open God's word, the Bible. So I go here and I read the little bits of the, of, the, of the scripture like this and I want more of it for us. And I want more of it in me. And I get sad at how far I feel I've got to go and how far we've yet to go. But I say, more, Lord, do it some more. Do it more here and speak. And I'll probably really ba- be bad at recognising it when it happens. But look, just, just do it more, will you? So listen, the growth of this church, we're going to see two things. The author of the book of Acts here at this spot we've stopped at shows us two elements. We see what happens when heaven breaks in and when hell fights back. Okay, When heaven breaks in, what happens in the community and when hell fights back. So listen, we, we need to dig in, but I've spoken for too long already. So would somebody please loudly read for us chapter 4, verses 32 through to 37. Uh, 32 through to 37. Somebody read that loudly for us. Just a little bit louder. Well done. Cool, thank you for reading this. Uh, I I was too young to to remember this, but um, I'm told reliably by my mum that one of my first words was the word mine. Yeah? Anybody got kids who are like that? Mine. Yeah? That's mine. Mine. I'll do it. Mine. Yeah, well, uh, maybe it's not you, but well, listen, I couldn't get away from it. Listen, um, uh, I think my mum would try and tell me, she'd say, you have to share. Sharing is good. And of course, I, as a polite and obedient young man, would go, no. Why? Because mine, I'm very, really good at protecting what I think and conceive of as mine, because it's my little world. Have you noticed how what we do is we shrink our world to the size of our own self 
interest and put me at the centre. Now, as I grew, I began to see, um, uh, I suppose, a heart for the needs of other people. So I didn't mind helping out with it as long as I kept control on the level of impact that it had on me. So I'd give as much as my conscience allowed, but very rarely would I want to give and move out towards people um, just out of a, a free heart of generosity because the place where I would always land is mine. And in fact, I think we've, we've institutionalized that here in the UK, haven't we? So as we've grown up, we, perhaps we're not as brash as mine, but what we do is we come up with sophisticated phrases to justify our selfishness and our indulgence and keeping stuff to us. So has anybody heard the phrase, charity begins at home? Yeah? Okay, and that's basically just a justification for keeping all your own stuff to you and, and what you hold dear. Okay, It's because we've got these bent inwards, selfishness, and it tells a story of our own hearts. And yet now, if we look down at verses 32 onwards, what Bethany read for us, we'll see heaven has broken in and started to smash that selfish heart. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Wow! That's definitely not of this world, is it? That's out of this world world and there's a real concrete change that happens it's in the heart you see that all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own do you see that there's sort of an internal change that has happened it's supernatural because heaven has broken in why well they were overwhelmed by the sense of receiving so much have you ever had that in your life that moment where you just get a sense Wow, they've done this for me. And suddenly, clinging on to stuff just feels, well, ugly and pathetic and and, and small-minded. So what was this massive shift of heart? What has made them gone from mine to yours willingly with a smile on the face? Not, oh, I suppose we're to do it because Comet Relief really insists that I do. Well, it's there in verse 33, isn't it? Look at that. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of, G- of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. So here, the resurrection of Jesus, we've got to get this right, because we hear about the resurrection every week. The resurrection of Jesus is not merely a good proof that everything that Jesus said is true, which of course it is. The undeniable historical fact of the resurrection is a great source of confidence for us as believers, but it's more than that. It is the initiation and the opening up and the proclamation that his kingdom rule is going to win. That his way will win out in the end. Do you see that? His new rule of grace has beaten its way into the brokenness of this world. Darkness is here. Selfishness is here. Shaking the fist is at God is here. But Jesus has exploded in and saying, I'm pushing back the darkness. There is now a way out of this dark and selfish dying world, out of sin and greed and hurt and pain, and it's here and it's begun with a bank. Uh, you remember, don't you, as you track through the Gospels and you just see the way that Jesus walked that out. So he would touch the leper and the person would be healed and new life would come flooding in. Or he'd crush evil spirits and truth would be allowed to reign and people would be amazed at his teaching. He liberated the marginalized and the oppressed. He released those who were slaves to sin. People got their lives back. They were transformed out of their self-absorbed nature. Think of, of Zacchaeus, that gangster who would just do nothing, think, nothing uh, wouldn't think twice of robbing you blind and beating you to squeeze every last penny out. And by the time he's, well, he was in the presence of Jesus, and what did he just want to do? Give. 
He just wanted to give. Nobody told him, he just wanted to. Because where Jesus is and where Jesus' kingdom is, that is what happens. So the resurrection is a promise and a proof of where the world is heading, of where heaven is breaking in. And it all comes to them and they're excited. They're getting grace. They're getting gripped by grace. Their old treasures are suddenly being exposed as no treasures because they know they're treasured by Jesus. And they just want to treasure him. He's filled them. You know, we, we were looking at this last week about how they're filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the generous heart of God, breaking the power of mine and giving them a heart just to move outwards. That's just what was happening. That's what happens when Jesus comes near. So I suppose as I was thinking about this, how do we, how do we land this and how do we bring it to ourselves here? And I suppose the first thing to say is, isn't it a great relief that we can be honest? Isn't it wonderful? Because the gospel tells us the truth about ourselves. And the truth is that we are not awesome. The truth is, is we've just got that seed of selfishness and greed rooted deep within us. I suppose when you look at the cross of Jesus and see what he had to go to to pay for the price of sin and break the power of sin, you look at the cross and I'm outed. All my foolishness, all my selfishness. Oh yeah. And it's a relief to be able to be honest with it. You see, Jesus, knowing the worst about us, seeing through our pretense of being nice people, which we're not, seeing through our pretense comes to rescue you and me from our greatest enemy. What's my greatest enemy? Me. What's your greatest enemy? You. What's my greatest problem? The fact that a just and holy God must judge me. And Jesus has come and paid for that for me. And they're gripped by this grace. And it's a game changer. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Jump down to verse 34. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed as everybody had need. You notice that phrase there in verse 33. And much grace was upon them. It wasn't a cloud. It wasn't like a grace cloud come down upon them and they were like they were in the fog of grace. It wasn't something ethereal and out there. Uh, it's closer to the idea of, that, uh, of carrying the idea that all, what was upon them was a spirit of giving favour. Because they had received much, they wanted to give much. That was how they were defined. And so what they did was they saw how, how Jesus clung to nothing to give them everything. They wanted to do the same. He spent his life to give other people a future and then clinging to their own gear and stuff and the pursuit of experiences just seemed empty to them. I think there are three, three like just elements of this generosity that are there. You know, you can say, uh, number one's in verse 34. They, they, they were generous freely. In other words, it wasn't quid pro quo. It wasn't because they were going to get something back. It wasn't because somebody forced them and put their arm up the back. They went out of their way to do it. So I just wonder in our church family, you know, sometimes what we do is because we've all got busy lives and life is always pressing on, we know there are plenty of needs. We know there are plenty of practical needs, financial needs, relational needs in our church. I could give you a list of 50 things right now. But what we tend to do is we tend to wait until we're asked because we feel so overwhelmed by the own pressures in our own life. But what these guys do, if you notice, is freely, they look around and say, where can I bless? 
I would love it if the leaders of the, of the families of this church sent me a text this week saying, Steve, we've been listening to God's word and we've just realised that we've sort of, well, we, we know there are needs out there and we found it convenient not to do anything about it because nobody asked us. But, you know, we've been looking and oh, there's a person I want to move towards with the Bible. There's, a, there's, a finan- there's somebody I could walk with as they, and walk, help walk them out of financial difficulty. Here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's an overseas mission need that I could help with. Do you notice this? There's a freeness about it. They don't need somebody like me with a big voice to yell at them. They just want to give. They're finding ways to do it. They're almost coming to the leaders going, I bung that at your feet. Do something good with it, will you? There's just that sort of feel there. They, they, there's generosity. It's sacrificial is the second thing. Look at verse 34 and 35. Okay, There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales. Now this wasn't communism, because communism is coerced. You have to do it. This was sacrificial. This was them saying, I'm happy to go without to disadvantage myself in order that you may have something here. Isn't that wonderful? It cost them. They went without for the good of others. But it also, thirdly, had this amazing unifying effect, doesn't it? Look at verse 35 again. Okay, And put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This, this generosity brought the gang together. It, it pulled them together. It made them realise that they were, they were one. It knitted them. These are my people. I mean, they gave the leaders, so it was an act of trust, and say, listen, you leaders, you've got the 10,000-foot view. You know where the needs are. Um, listen, use this, would you? We trust you, and you've got to have trustworthy leaders to be able to do that. But you see this sort of unifying generosity here. And then he gives us a concrete example. Can you see it there in verse 36 and 37? Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the, the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Sold the field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now they come up, we come up with horrible nicknames for people, don't we? They come up with cool nicknames. I've got some horrible nicknames for some of you. But there they were in the first church. They were saying, Son of Encouragement, that'll be your nickname. Uh, maybe we could change that. I mean, we love to run each other down here and speak, don't we? So maybe we can like, Joe, I'm going to call you Breath of Fresh Air. Okay, I don't know quite what I'd call Kaylee, but we'll work on that. Okay, or Nathan. Okay, son of cheery heartedness. Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Listen, go away with that. Think about your nicknames. That's not the point. What the point is is that the text says this is so normal. Oh, he sold the field, which is probably worth you know half a year's wages, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Next, and it's just like that was just the stuff that was going down. So I thought to myself, I thought, wow. Wow. You know, you need to know our church is full of Barnabases and Barnabettes. It really is. I am so fat. In fact, you're sitting in a building that has been created and paid for by Barnabases and Barnabettes, some of whom are sitting in this room right now. You've got kids who are in the youth work because people have got up and they've just given. They could have given attention to their field, but they've given time and energy and money. This church is full of people who got out of the way of themselves and they just... They gave because of what Jesus has done. Some of you lot have given to me personally. I just, and you know who you are, okay? I'm not going to make a fuss. It's not helpful. You know who you are. Some of you in this room have given money to our family when we came upon a difficulty. Uh, you've helped us with kindness in terms of bringing up our kids. You've paid for us to do stuff that we otherwise wouldn't have done. 
you've invited us out for meals and can I tell you that inviting a family of eight round for food is a big thing we appreciate that we have to do it every day listen I just want to say thank you and what the effect of you doing that has been is it's brought us closer so thank you to those of you who've done that others of you have worked to support each other you've you've paid for each other to go on stuff you've uh, some people haven't got the means or, dare I say, haven't yet had the Lord kind of go <clears throat> on their hearts to say, contribute along. And so others here, some in this room, are giving above what they even should do, could do or can to make up for those who aren't. And I just want to say thank you. We need to celebrate that. That's, that's driven by the gospel. But I suppose we want to say more. We want to do more, don't we? We want to have that spirit around us. Because I often find that, well, within my own heart, despite being the, the recipient of such grace, both from within this world, but ultimately from the Lord, I haven't arrived yet. Because I still say mine. I really do. I sometimes resent having other people's needs put and well-being put before me. Because I don't want to treasure them. I want to treasure my own selfish little agendas. I sometimes want to build heaven here and forget that Christ has given me an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil or fade. I want to hoard junk even though I know it's all going down the pan and it's going to be the stuff of either eBay or rubbish sites because I don't treasure Christ. I want to find refuge in binge spending, getting my retail therapy or just buying experiences or entertainment. I just want to go there. That's just what my heart wants to do. I want to leave unity to other people. I really do sometimes, you know, and let them worry about it. I even want to use my troubles, my disappointments, my hardships as an excuse for living selfishly and not moving towards others. Now, the Bible doesn't allow me to do that, but I think that's a great place to hide, and I'm prone to do that all the time. And as I do all of that, I notice something happens inside of me. What happens inside of me is that I start to go dull to spiritual reality. Treasuring stuff other than Christ just kills me. It makes me go cold spiritually. And do you know what? I've spoken to enough of you to know that it's not just me. And as I nurture those old attitudes of the sinful heart, it just blocks it. As I treasure my selfish ambition rather than Christ, I feel spiritually distant. And I listen to a sermon like this and I think, feels me. I feel like being so far away from that. If that's you, well, number one, know you've got a brother in that. Pray for me. But here's three quick things, okay? When you feel the pull of treasure in other stuff, the first thing you need to do is preach that wonderful kingdom, that coming inheritance. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I was hearing of this. A, a, guy, a, a guy was just explaining a funny situation he had after he got converted. Uh, before he came to faith, he had been part of a gang of kids at school who would give the poor caretaker... Uh, just murder, just run him down all the time, mock him, belittle him. Even though he was a member of staff at the school, he would be belittled. And this guy, after he came to faith, got really convicted about that and felt you know, just really bothered by it. So he, he, he went back to his old school, found out the guy, said, I just really want to apologize for the way I was. I was dishonoring to you. I was trying to score points off it with my mate. I was just downright hurtful to you. And the, uh, and the caretaker who spent his days pushing brooms said, do you know what? That's nice of you to say that, but it, it really didn't hurt me. And the reason it didn't hurt me is I just spend most of my time thinking about what Jesus has in store for me in the future. 
You see somebody there who in the moment is being captured by the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. So the first thing to do is, if you're struggling with this, preach that gospel to yourself. You have an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil or fade. Next thing is, pray for a heart filled with the generous God. Pray for a filling of the Spirit. Because he is the God who gives and gives and gives. He's not a miser. People always think that God wants to hold off on giving us blessing. He doesn't. He is abundant in compassion and grace. He says, you know, throw open your arms that I would give you everything. But of course, we decide what we think we need. And it usually is stuff that kills us. He wants to give us good things. So we pray, Lord, give us a heart like you to want to give good things. And the next and the third and final one, this is something practical for you to do this very week. Are you ready? If you know your heart wants to lay hold of your stuff and treasure your treasures, what you do is you throw your treasure where you want your heart to be. So if you want your heart to be after Christ... Grab some of your treasure now and chuck it in that direction. Let me give you some examples. This week, if you're struggling with this, this week, find a mission agency or see an initiative at church that you say, I'm going to give 50 quid to, get 100 quid, get a five. What, what a, have some money and make it happen. Go and do it. Or else you're like, do you know, I want my heart to be for the kids' work here in church. Then in that case, what you need to do is go and buy cream cakes for all the speed kids' workers. Throw your cash where you want your heart to be. Perhaps there's somebody who you want to love and you find them really difficult or they've hurt you and you see that sense of being bitter toward. Give them a gift. Throw your treasure where you want your heart to be and it will teach your heart a lesson. So listen, can we, can we pursue hard after this? Being that, that, on that, that, that mission movement of the gospel. Do you see that? Listen, I've kept you for a while, but... Uh, Listen, I've got ten minutes just to finish up the last point. So we've first of all seen when heaven breaks in, there's a generous unity. And we want to see more and more and more of it. Okay, we want to be Barnabases. Next thing, what about, and this one's a tricky one, isn't it? When hell fights back because of spiritual pretending. Okay, when hell, sorry, when hell fights back, it is spiritual pretending. So could somebody read for us, nice and loudly, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through to 11. Chapter 5, verses 1 through to 11.
Brilliant. Thank you for reading that so well. So it's a shocking story, isn't it? But you need to remember what's happening in the book of Acts. So what we've seen is the Jesus event. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and uh, he's reigning in power. And remember, he's starting this movement that he's carrying the good news of this power of, uh, of his kingdom breaking in all around the world. That's the direction of travel. And we've already seen last week, we've seen that there are external threats to that. So do you remember there is persecution that tries to shut them up and stop them moving forward with this news of Jesus? And then what we see next here is we see this movement of, well, when heaven breaks in, this new community, but they're about to get derailed because hell breaks loose to try to stop them. So they've faced external threats. Here's an internal one. And what is it? Well, I've summed it up as being spiritual pretending. You see, if Barnabas is the real deal, authentic, genuine, um, he, he, wants to, he wants to bless. Um, and God, God loves that because God loves Barnabas' heart. But then what we need to do is meet Ananias and Sapphira. Now, the thing we need to notice about Ananias and Sapphira is this. They attended the same church. They sang the same songs. They said they believed the same things. And they did the same giving. What was the difference? You know, Barnabas comes along and he, he sells his stuff and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira come along, sell their fields, sell their stuff, and they lay it at the apostles' feet. What was the difference? What is it that this part of the word of God is saying, watch out for? Answer. They did the same thing, but they did it for a different reason. They did exactly the same thing, but their reason was totally different. What they did was they saw Barney, and they saw Barney back at the end of chapter 4 getting, uh, getting a new nickname. He's been commended in front of the church for just having a heart to bless the Lord. And they say, I like the idea of that. I like the idea of um, public standing and recognition and having a name. I even want to be called, I don't know, I wouldn't be called Barney. I'd be called something else. But I like the idea of that. So they rushed home, and they did exactly what Barnabas did, but they did it for a different reason. They were playing spiritual let's pretend. Let's try and pretend that we're something we are not spiritually. Because they've got no heart there, have they? Forget what Jesus offers me, that he offers me standing, he offers me a new heart, he offers me uh, status and an identity. No, 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 I want people to give me that. I don't want Jesus to give that to me. So what do they do? They play let's pretend and they lie. Let's, let's just have a think for a second. Who are the different people they lie to? Shout it out. Who are the different people that they lie to? Sorry? The apostles? Themselves? Anybody else? God. In fact, those three. Okay. They lie to the apostles. They lie to themselves. They lie to God. Let's take them in, in the order. What was it? Yeah. We'll go with that one. The apostles. Okay. By the way, Peter says this is from Satan. This is straight out of hell. This is the sort of stuff that Satan does to try and wreck the forward movement of the church. So the apostles, right? what this does is they lie to them, it ruins unity, and it treats the apostles and the family as something to be manipulated so I can get what I want. That's what happens when you lie to somebody. You're manipulating them to get what you want. Isn't it horrible when somebody lies to you? According to this, there's no place for this amongst God's community of people. We're to be like our God, who is faithful, honest, and true. So first of all is the apostles. Uh, so you said themselves. That's the funny thing about pride. Pride is the only illness that makes other people sick. 
When you've got that pride, you're the last person to know about it. They probably justified this to themselves. It probably sounded so reasonable to them. Um, I, I'd have loved to have sat there when, when um, Ananias says to Sapphira, do you know what I think we should do? Because I think we'll look awesome if we do it. It's this, 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 this. And I wonder whether for a moment she had a look of horror on her face and then went, yeah, good idea, and then justified it. Well, I, I don't know. But here are people who have just bought into this idea of spiritual pretense. I suppose that's one of the things that we try to do to help each other, isn't it, as a church family? We welcome each other into our lives to stop us lying to ourselves. I will tell myself anything. I will justify my nurtured um, ambitions, my selfish actions, my evil desires, and I will put a really good reason um, uh, wrap a really good reason around them. I need people like you and me to come along and get in my face. I'm blessed with a wife who gets in my face and she does it gently and she does it lovingly and she does it prayerfully. But when I'm being stinking selfish and trying to pursue my own selfish aims, she gets in my way. But that's not good enough, is it? Because actually there's always a possibility that a husband and a wife can reinforce their own selfish lies, can't they? So what you need is you need a, a husband and a wife to be in a family of other people who can look in and say, yeah, well, listen... You pair are reinforcing your own selfish ambitions. I need, uh, we need to be part of a broader church family. We need spiritual friends who are going to encourage us because we lie to ourselves all the time. We're in image management over what we're really like and the choices that we make that so often seem noble are actually born out of selfishness and spiritual pre- pre- um, pretension, pretending. So listen, they lie to the apostles, they lie to themselves, and then finally they lie to God. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Uh, what about verse, where is it? Verse uh, 9. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Do you see that? Now, I love what Peter does here. Uh, as they come to Peter, Ananias and Sapphira, on both occasions, he, he moves towards them to give them a chance to step into the light. He asks them. He says, listen, it, it's a wonderful gift as the Lord gives us gifts. He's always asking questions of us, isn't he? He's always saying, look, step into the light, step out of it. But they resolutely say no. And afterwards you get this sense of what were they thinking? I mean, what were they thinking? I'll tell you what they were thinking. God won't do anything about it. He's not holy, he's not powerful, he doesn't do anything about sin, and he lets me go my merry way without any consequence. Please watch out for that whenever it pops up in your head. That idea that God will not get in your way or act powerfully. The most loving thing he does to a rebellious sinner is get in their way. God does do stuff, and ultimately if we won't give way to him getting in our way... Ultimately, one day, well, we'll be walking out on the Lord of life and we will be facing judgment for that. God is gracious. He's patient. He says to anybody humbly, come back to me. There is forgiveness. There is grace. There is mercy at the foot of the cross. Be humble and receive. Confess your sins and ask for mercy. Ask for heart change. But don't mess with me and don't mess with my people. So to play spiritual let's pretend or to 
just fake it or to value our rep- uh, reputation over living in the light or to lie to the church or to hurt the church or to abandon his people or to badmouth them in such a way that it runs down uh, the reputation of Jesus is something that the Lord of glory takes hugely seriously. And aren't you glad he does? He's, he's looking out for us. He wants his movements to move forward. So please, listen. Let's, let, let, let's, let's bin off any kind of therapeutic Christianity that says, um, well, what I'll do is I'll tag a bit of Jesus on when it feels right. And he always makes me feel happy about who I am because he forgives me for anything. No, let's be really, really clear. He's a really holy God. And he has a purpose and an ambition for you to live holy for the name of Jesus. And he gets in the way of people who won't go there. So if ever you have a sense of, uh, I better do what God wants, I better walk by faith, or I could be in trouble. Can I tell you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. To, have, to be compelled by a reality of who he is. God is the God who does stuff. He will get involved. And it's scary, isn't it? One pastor said um, that if, if God did things the same way as he did with Ananias and Sapphira in every church, then every church building would need a morgue under the meeting room. Uh, I would have been carried out a long time ago because I'm a hypocrite and I know how to be that, as we were learning from that poem earlier on today. But if we, as we hear about being hypocrites, if you say, well, I'm happy to stay there, that's a bad sign. But if you say, Lord, have mercy on me, change me deeply within... That's a really good sign. So verse 5 and verse 10 there, can I tell you that condemnation of those who want to sit and live in spiritual hypocrisy and pretension is the norm. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Verse 10, at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The only unexpected bit is that it's brought forward for these two people, for Ananias and Sapphira. So the church get a vivid lesson. The Lord doesn't usually, he sometimes does. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that some in the congregation, because of their spiritual stubbornness, have kicked the bucket. But I think we're supposed to read this and go, wow, he's done it a bit sooner than normal here so that I get a sense that this is really important. He's trying to show this fledgling community that, the spirit, that spiritual pretending is out of hell and brings death. It is deadly, destroys us, and undermines the gospel that we preach. That's what we're learning here. Do you see that? So listen, I just want to speak to you very quickly. If you, if you are somebody who hasn't yet decided whether you want to stand for Jesus, I can tell you that I'm so glad you are here. But please realize that our God does stuff. He really does. He offers you grace and mercy today in Jesus Christ. Don't assume that he will offer it to you tomorrow. Don't mess with him. Don't toy with him. He's wonderful and gracious, but not to be messed with. Receive Jesus while you can. And to those of us here in this room who sense that we know how to be spiritual hypocrites, cry out to him and say, Lord, just deliver me from that. My faith is not in myself. It is in Jesus. Keep turning me back there. Turning me back there, as we heard in that little poem earlier on today. Listen, we need to wrap up. Isn't it good that we've got both those, those things at the same time? We've got this when heaven breaks in. Here's a picture of who we can be through what Jesus uh, has done for us. And we want to live there. And on the other hand, we've got this warning passage saying, don't spiritually pretend God is after your heart. He knows and he does do stuff. Let heaven break in. When hell fights back, avoid that one as much as you can. And what is the result of that? What is the result? 
What will happen as Christ works in that and works in us? What is the future of our church if we go in the way and direction that the Lord Jesus would have us go? It's verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Don't we want to be that kind of church? With spiritual reality exploding onto the scene week after week after week. We're going to sing now. Over all the earth you reign on high. We're singing about how he is God. And through Jesus Christ we have a salvation to celebrate. Let's stand and sing when the musicians get us going.